morning, everybody. Hope everybody is well. Happy Monday for those that are here live. Happy whatever day of the week it is for you. Thanks so much for joining us. Clicking through, getting ready. Oh, um, I guess my video got knocked out here, but I think I'm back. Okay, we're back. We're ready to roll. All right, wonderful. Hope everyone's having a great, hope, hope everyone had a great weekend. We were talking about this concept, I think, last week. So many days have passed in between our last boost. We were talking about this idea, which is really hard. And I got to tell you, like, if we can master this, man, if we can master this whole, like, we really, really can, like, change our lives. This is really, like, hard. Really hard. So really always tells me mentality, 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 mentality. It's all about your mind. Remember, Relieve is not a psychologist. He is a holy individual that lives in B'nai Brock. He's not a psychologist. He's not telling me like your mind because he read it in a psychology book or he, you know, has a degree from Harvard in neuroscience. He's saying it because he's saying it because He's tapping into something much, much, much deeper. That the mind is is the gateway to the soul. The mind is is the bridge. It's like the channel. And our mentality and how we do things is so critical. And what we've been talking about, which is so difficult is this incredible ability to imagine yourself as somebody that you aspire to be. Right? You, you, we have heroes. We have people whose, whose values we look up to. We have people who we look, we look, we look at and say, I wish I could. And it doesn't necessarily mean I wish I could be them because like I want to be uh, uh, my grandmother. I don't want to be. I don't want to be a woman. But my grandmother had values, and in those values, there was a part of me and what I aspired to be that manifested in her. I remember. I remember when my grandfather was really at the end of his life. For those who've been on the trip with me, you know how much I talk about my grandfather. It was I listen, I have two grandfathers. Unfortunately, one I never met. I passed over. My father was still young. That's who I'm named after, at least in part. And I have a grandfather who I was blessed to know till he was in his 90s. And as the oldest grandchild in the family, we had a very special relationship. And many times I'd be by his house, many times, and he'd be telling me some story. And I'm looking at him going like, holy cow, like, how do you, how are you even like, how are you like alive today? Like not physically, like, how do you function? Like, how do you function? Like you're, you're a normal, healthy, happy human being. Like how can a human being go through that and still be normal? Like, how are you, you, like, I just couldn't get my head around it. 
Like many times he's telling you some crazy story that like, if it was one story per lifetime, it'd be too much. And it's just like another story each time. Like what he went through and what they all went through, but this is my grandfather. So what my grandfather went through before he was like 25 was like, that's like several people's worst possible lives. And he had all of them. And he wasn't even like 25. To come, start a family, start a life. And I'm looking at him like, I just don't understand. I'm like, what are you made of? Like, how did it happen? Does, did God just know that this generation would go through such turmoil? So he placed in that generation souls that were different. And I remember asking him it like every single which way. And he looked at me like, I was like, he's like, what are you even talking about? He was more because the situation called for it. And there's so many times in my life where I'm fetching about something so small. I'm upset about something that's so trivial. The things that are bothering me. You know, it's like the problems that we talk about sometimes are so we get lost in such such littleness because we're lost in this world. And in this world, we get somehow tricked into thinking that some of the things that we call problems are actual problems. You know, like, um, I forgot which comedian has a whole bit on this. People getting mad because the ATM machine has like multiple languages. They're like, this is real. Really? Like it's it's a box that gives you money. Like these these are our issues. People getting upset that like their team lost or this the stuff in their life like isn't working out. We're, and we're all like this. We get lost in the problems of our lives. And if we pull back and we just analyze, thinking these aren't problems, these are gifts. The loud house where the kids are making noise is a gift because kids in a house is a gift. It's just get, we get used to that part. And now we want it to be quiet and perfect. Like we get used to a life and then we start to forget that most, that many of the things that we complain about are just gifts And I think of my grandfather sometimes when this when I have this problem, and I'm like, holy cow, the guy went through everything and he made it. You got a lot more in you. Like, toughen up. Stop. Focus. Smile. Your grandfather, not someone you don't know, your grandfather, that's your blood, went through, they tortured him. They put him through experiments. He lost his family, came to this country, almost died a hundred times. He couldn't make a dollar. No one handed him any help. He raised a family. Like, you understand what the human being is capable of? What I'm doing in that moment, if you can analyze me for a second, is I have in my head a a vision of the aspirational person that I want to be. I don't want to be my grandfather. 
God forbid what he went through. I don't want any of that. I don't want to be my grandfather. I want to be like my grandfather. I want to have the values that he represents. So what I'm doing is I'm sucking out these pieces and I'm creating an aspirational vision of me. I'm taking me and I'm creating an aspirational picture of me that includes him. We do this all the time. In some cases, like, you know, maybe not as inspire. I'm not say inspiring. Maybe not as noble. Like I grew up, my first real love in life, really, really, my first love was the orange ball. Basketball was my life. Now, I'm a, I'm a white Jewish boy, so I, I don't think I had the career ahead of me. But I went to a, a school where we played against each other. So like it was Jews playing against Jews. So the, the, the standard came down a drop. So like I was, you know, I used to play ball. And thank God I was okay. Thank God. Especially when you play against other Jews, like other kids. My whole life surrounded basketball. I, I, I slept with it. I woke up with it. And if you're a kid growing up in the 90s, and you love basketball, you aspire to be somebody. And as I'm talking, half the crowd is going, of course, Michael Jordan. Who doesn't want to be like Mike? So I had Wheaties in my house and I brought Nikes. And I wore the, if you remember Michael Jordan, I wore his the band over my elbow. Remember that? I played basketball and I, my tongue wagged out of my mouth because Michael Jordan, when he was first, in his first few years, wagged his tongue. And many times, many times I'm practicing or in the games or like I'm tired. And I'm like, Michael Jordan doesn't give up. Michael Jordan doesn't give in. Are you kidding me? I heard that Michael Jordan practices for like an hour after each game. So after each game, I'm practicing for like an hour. I don't know. It's Michael Jordan. I'm like the next version of Michael Jordan. And then I got a little older. And went out to the rest, went out to the, the larger world of basketball players and reshifted re my expectations. But not when I was in high school, I didn't. So there were times I was going to give up. But I created a picture. I didn't actually want to be Michael Jordan. Maybe I did, but not really. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I did. I don't remember. Let's assume I didn't. I wanted to be me. Part of me contained the smoothness, the dedication, the energy, the comfortability with the game, how he glided, how he seemed to never give up, how they were down by 11 with you know 48 seconds left and somehow he pulled some miracle, how he was able to shoot a shot with one second left and not get nervous. But when I got the ball at the end of the game and the crowd was like holding their breath, I was going out of my mind. Channeling, channeling the values that I saw in Michael. Now, I don't know Michael Jordan. He could be a good guy. I didn't, I hear mixed reviews. But I didn't care about Michael Jordan. Like, I don't know. I didn't like study him and his wife. I didn't study his parenting skills. I didn't study whether or not he goes and prays in the morning. Like, I didn't care about Michael Jordan. 
I was extracting out of Michael Jordan his values on the court and his values really in life. Because you're a high school kid that, you, that doesn't really sit in class for much longer. You learn life by the court. What I was doing is I was creating an aspirational picture of myself by using somebody else. And if you remember, if you were a kid in the 90s and you remember they, they, the videos and Michael Jordan come fly with me and all, they weren't, they never told you the other stuff, the gambling, they never told you that stuff because they wanted to extract out and make him a hero so that other kids would work hard and play hard and never give up. They told you the story of how he got cut from his high school basketball team a hundred times to remind you that even if you go down, look, he went down. What they were doing and what we always do in society today is they were extracting out. Today is different because today the world broke open. And it feels for those who are, let's say, those who are over 40, let's say, you remember a time where the level of taking down celebrities was much less. You, you didn't have that culture, at least when I grew up, of like taking people down. We didn't know these things. We didn't know negativity so much about presidents. Like we didn't, it, we weren't, it didn't feel like we were at a place where you knew everything about the people in front of you, which you knew were the things that the media tried to extract the values. I'm not saying everyone was perfect because clearly they weren't, but the obsession of, of taking people down, I, I don't think existed back then. And so when you looked up at people, you really didn't see them fully. You saw them for their values. If Michael Jordan was a ball player today, forget about it. They'd be all over him. And he'd, ha- and he'd feel the pressure to like post on Instagram every single day. So he'd have to go deeper into himself and people would be following him and there'd be everyone with cameras. And it wasn't like that. We didn't have cameras on our phones. You just watch them play ball on Sunday. NBA and NBC. Like, you know, you just watch them play ball. And then when they did a special, you watch the special. That was it. So you, all you saw was the stuff that in a way inspired you. I read some while there's some kind of news break. What that dot, what that did, at least for me, was it enabled me to create an aspirational picture of myself. I remember watching certain lawyers, movies or shows as a little kid, and wanting to shape my legal career around them. I remember hearing stories of certain holy people. And wanting to be connected to God like they are. Like I remember my grandmother, she should rest in peace. My father's mother from Syria would sit. She'd be making food. And in Arabic, there's a food called kak. My Syrians and my, my Middle Easterners who are watching this, you'll know what I'm talking about. They're like a, it's like a circular cookie. But it's not really cookie. It's like salty a little bit. It's like paint. I don't know. I can't describe it. She'd make them by like the hundreds. My grandmother, God bless her, by the hundreds. You know what I'm talking about? Anyone have grandmothers like this? Making 
Right? Like, you know, you don't have grandmas like this. You go to their house and they're just cooking, but they're not cooking for anybody. They're cooking by like, they're, they're like, they're like commercially cooking. You don't have grandmothers like this. They're just cooking. I had both. One of them came from literally from Romania and one came from Syria. So I had Arabic nonstop cooking and I had Yiddish nonstop cooking on both sides of me. So everything I did growing up was, was food. You know, the grandmothers like this where they just cook and they just cook so much that they're never going to use. So they cook and freeze. You open their freezers and there's so much food just in case you come over. I don't know if they do this anymore, but when I grew up, whenever I went to a grandmother's house on both sides, I had either Ashkenazi or I had Sephardi pastries, cookies, food in the freezer, just in case someone would come, there's going to be 700 pounds of food to feed them because what if they're hungry and what if they bring 200 of their friends? What am I going to do then? Huh? Which is the logic of a Jewish grandmother. I remember coming to her house and she's cooking and I'm thinking, grandma, it's just me. The, the freezer's full and she's cooking and she's talking. And I'm like, grandma, who are you talking to? And she's talking to God. My grandmother, she wasn't a scholar. She's just sitting there with a pan, cooking pastries, talking to God, like the way we're talking, the way I would talk to my buddy as I'm cooking. I'd be like, hey, what's up? She's talking to God. And I'm like, grandma, you okay? Like, and she's looking at me like, am I okay? Like, yeah. Excuse me. Talking to God. Like, he's my best friend. We just. And I was like a little kid, but then of course she talked to me when I woke in the kitchen, but it took me a while to like extract the value out of that. My grandma didn't go through the most sophisticated school, but she believed, man, did she have belief. Her belief could break through walls. She just believed. My grandmother had belief. Like, I can't, I, I, I've never... I don't think I've ever, when I see holy great people, but my grandmother believed, man, did she believe. What we have to do in life, we'll talk about this maybe throughout the week, is start to identify the values that we get from other people and bring it into ourselves and use it to create an aspirational picture of who we could be. Because everyone around us has something to learn from. It's, it's a passage in Pirkei Avot. Who is wise? That those who learn from everyone. Everybody has something. They have values. And if they don't have values, you can learn what not to do. What not to be. But what we got to figure out is how to take these values and bring them into our lives and put them into our minds and then build this incredible aspirational vision of who we could be. Because that's the mentality that we need in order to go above our issues. All right, we'll talk about it. We're just beginning. All right, everybody. Think about this. Think about the people in your life. 
and their values. Okay. Hopefully we'll continue with God's help tomorrow. Have an amazing day with God's help. I cannot wait to see you again tomorrow. Have a great day. Recently, I was calling around for a certain friend of mine who needed a specific doctor. When I called another friend, he said to me, he had a great doctor for him. I said, great. What insurance does he take? He said, I have no clue. I don't have insurance. I said, what? How could you not have insurance? He told me that over the past few years, he had paid over $100,000 towards health insurance. And because Baruch Hashem, him and his family were healthy, they hadn't gotten any benefits out of it. He felt like he was wasting his money on insurance premiums and deductibles. So instead, he switched to United Refua Health Share, which is saving him over $20,000 a year. I was like, really? How? So he explained to me what a health share is. A health share is a group of people who share religious beliefs. For us, it's Jewish beliefs. Who share in each other's medical expenses. I help you and you help me. It's as simple as that. It's basically v'haftarich at its best. So I asked him, how do you use top doctors if you have no insurance? He said, as, as uninsured patients, they're free to choose any doctor or hospital and are eligible for sizable discounts. When they need medical care, the top doctors in the country are available to them. No in-network restrictions. Amazing. Totally flexible. He's now paying $499 a month for his whole family, as opposed to his previous cost of over $2,000 a month, which is basic for an insurance plan. The cost is based on the membership size. And in addition to all these benefits, he says their customer service is five stars. He never had to wait on hold. He gets his answers right away. And his bills are processed faster than ever. Go to learn more about United Refua at www.unitedrefua.org or call them at 1-855-SHARE-55. 1-855-SHARE-55.